0: What's up everyone, today's podcast is with Troy Aikman. Troy won three Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s, he's in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he now works for ESPN, calling Monday Night Football Games with Joe Buck. We chatted about a bunch of stuff today, including how he came to own a minority stake in the San Diego Padres, what it's like preparing for a Monday Night Football game as a broadcaster, and his new beer company, 8. I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation, but before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. First up is so rare. SoRare is a global sports game and entertainment platform that allows fans to buy, sell, and trade officially licensed player cards as NFTs. The coolest part? Each NFT has real utility. It's like fantasy sports, except you can buy, sell, trade, and manage your lineup with the NFTs. I've been playing their NBA game a lot lately, and I think you'll love it too. Here's how it works. You sign up for an account, which is free, and you're given 20 common cards. Then twice a week, you put together a strategy and build two five-player lineups and enter into competitions. If you win, you get rewarded with even more player cards. But here's the best part. If you sign up today, SoRare is offering my listeners a free, limited card when you buy five cards on the primary market. So go to SoRare.com slash JoePomp to play. That's SoRare, S-O-R-A-R-E dot JoePomp to play. This episode is sponsored by my friends at 8Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the 8Sleep pod is the ultimate sleep machine. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before. And the data backs it up. Clinical data shows that 8sleep users experience up to 34% more deep sleep. And elite athletes like Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, Francis Ngannou, and Justin Medores are now using 8sleep to gain an advantage on the competition. But here's the best part. 8sleep recently launched the next generation of their pod, and they're having an epic holiday sale. The new Pod 3 enables more accurate sleep and health tracking with double the amount of sensors, delivering you the best sleep experience on earth. So get your Christmas shopping done earlier this year and go to 8sleep.com slash joe. That's 8sleep.com slash joe to save $250 on the Pod 3 this holiday season. Next up is MoonPay, the leader in Web3 infrastructure. Trusted by major crypto brands and millions of people worldwide, MoonPay is a portal to Web3, a place where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. As blockchain technology continues to integrate with sports all over the world, teams and leagues are looking for simple solutions to unlock their digital markets. This is where MoonPay can help. Whether you are a front office staff, a business executive, or a marketer, and you're looking to mint collectibles on the blockchain to create an NFT marketplace for your brand, MoonPay's technology can bring your digital strategies to life. So if you want to learn more, go to moonpay.com slash joe. That's moonpay.com slash joe. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. Troy, thank you for doing this. Yeah. I'm pumped to sit down with you. We're going to chat about 8Beer, your new beer company. I'm going to try it right now. All right. Very good. Yeah, it's light, crisp. I don't drink a lot of beer, mostly because it makes me feel full and heavy and stuff, but this is very good. I want to talk about that in a second here, but let's start with some fun stuff. I assume you probably aren't asked about this enough, but when I was doing some research for this, I found out that you used to be a minority owner of the Padres. Yeah, yeah. What was the deal there? Was that fun? How did that work out?
1: Yeah, it it was good. I originally had started a NASCAR team with Roger Staubach. Okay. And uh, we, we were in NASCAR a couple of years, and then we sold our team to my former agent, Jeff Morad. And then Jeff put together a group. He, when he was representing players, he, was, he then started representing baseball players. And he then went to work for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And so an opportunity came along for him to purchase the Padres. He put together an ownership group. He had just purchased my NASCAR team and uh, asked me to be a part of the Padres. He also wanted me to remain in the NASCAR. And I just said, well, I don't want to be in both. And so I got out of the NASCAR and then moved into the, the baseball ownership with the Padres. And, and we were in that for about three seasons before we, we sold and got out of that. But it was great. Loved spending time in the San Diego area. The stadium is fantastic. We came down to the last game of the season against the Giants. And had we have won that game, it was a play-in game. We would have gone to the uh, playoffs we failed to win that game and the Giants ended up winning the World Series that year so that was that was kind of the highlight of our three years that we were
0: owners what do you do as a minority owner are you just going to games throwing out first pitches like the whole uh, deal I,
1: well I, you know it's funny you mention that I did throw out the first pitch <laughs> bounced it didn't didn't get it to the plate I um, asked
0: because I know you were, you were a baseball player right in yeah. high school and so baseball forth.
1: was my favorite sport growing up I always thought that I'd go on and play college baseball and then hopefully in the major leagues but Yeah, I was a big baseball fan as a kid. And I would go to the games. I was on the advisory board. I'm not sure exactly what my participation was in the organization with that. But essentially going to games and just enjoying being part of a major league team.
0: Yeah. And we've seen a lot of transition in the NFL specifically, right? With organizations going up for sale. We just had the Broncos and now it looks like the Commanders. As someone who's played in the league, you've won Super Bowls, you've been around the league for now three decades. Would you ever be interested in, in owning a team or being part of an ownership group of the NFL? Uh,
1: possibly. I think what, what I've learned, you know, being involved on a, a, as a minority owner is, is okay if you like going to games and, and getting good seats and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's probably not something overall that i'm that excited about of course being a majority owner when you're talking about an nfl team you know there's there's no you got to put
0: 30 percent down that, yeah, on not, I'm six not in seven that, billion I'm not in that
1: category either but yeah. what i always thought was ownership was was never something that was a motivating thing for me i i had always thought when i was playing that i'd get involved in the front office with a club and it just hasn't happened i think life circumstances changed for me and uh broadcasting was an opportunity for me to spend a lot more time with my girls as they were growing up, and it's afforded me a, a, a lot of time to do what I want, and, and I've enjoyed it. So now I think that time's kind of passed me by, but it was for a long time something I thought I'd always wanna do.
0: Did you think broadcasting was gonna become what it is today? Like, it's, it's no secret, right? The salaries get leaked of all the top yeah. broadcasters, people can look this stuff up, but it is crazy to some people now, right, when you look at kind of how much these people are being paid, and yourself included, did you think that when you first got into broadcasting? Did you know that it was going to become so popular?
1: No. Uh, when I when I got into it, I had first of all, I had no interest in doing any broadcasting. I, no one really talked about it back when I was playing. No one in the locker room really talked much about when I was re- Broadcasting
0: specifically or yeah. what you were going to do after football?
1: Broadcasting specifically. Yeah. But I think within our locker room, we thought that Michael Irvin would probably get into it or Deion Sanders, and both of those guys did. I went over to Europe and did some games – with a friend of mine who was a broadcaster and ended up really enjoying it. And that's when Fox said to me, hey, when you retire, if you want to broadcast, we've got a job for you. And that was two years before I retired. And that was the first time I thought, man, maybe this will be something I might be interested in doing until I figure out what I want to do permanently. And so when I got into broadcasting, I really thought I'd do it for two or three years. And then here I am 21 years later and I'm still doing it. But I never imagined that broadcasting would... I guess afford me the the lifestyle that it has, and where salaries have gone has has really changed dramatically over the years. But it's been an amazing job. I think it's probably the greatest job in America. I mean, quite honestly, I work on the weekends, and I mean, I that, that's a little bit misleading. I, it's
0: it's an all-consuming job for me. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I feel like a lot of people say that, right? They say yeah. it's probably the best job ever. Yeah. You get to go, you do one game a week, you do Monday night games, you fly in the city, most likely on a private jet most times, right? You do the game, you leave, so forth. You get paid a lot of money. I assume a lot more than that goes into it.
1: Yeah, Talk to sure. me about
0: that. For
1: sure. I, I think that for most jobs, I think there's a lot more that goes into it than what the people realize. For me, it's, it's, not a, it's not, certainly not a nine-to-five job. I mean, I put a lot of time in. It seems like over the years, it's become more time-consuming. As there's become more data available, it only adds then to what I think the broadcaster owes the audience. So there's a lot of work that goes into it, but that's fine. I mean, As I, in like I, prep work? Yeah. 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 There's, it, the, you never know everything you need to know, it, mm-hmm. whether it's knowing the players. There's a lot of players, of course. And if you have general information, great. But if you really want to dive into it and then have points of context when you're talking, I think you got to dive down a little bit deeper. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, even with the teams, to know kind of how the teams have gotten to this point and There's there's just a lot that goes into it. I think if you're going to do the job the way I think it should be done, but the good thing is you do it on your own time frame. So I I work from my house. Still, I'm able to work it around my schedule that I may have, and then do the games. But then when the season ends, I'm able to dive into other business ventures like aid beer, for instance, and uh, spend time doing that. So when my girls who are now in college, I was able to drive them to school, pick them up, make all of their events that they were having, and so it's a really great job in that, yeah, it's time-consuming, but you're able to determine when
0: you're spending that time on it. Do you have any, like, we'll call them party tricks? Like, I imagine you can name a ton of players. I imagine you can recall specific <laughs> plays. There's There's got to be something, right? I don't know if it's naming players or plays or whatever, but I assume there's something you can do that most people are are marveled at.
1: Uh, I don't know if anyone marvels at it, but you you do become aware of of players and numbers. And I remember when I first got into broadcasting, I was at a seminar and Brian Baldinger was there, who's on NFL Network. And I mentioned a teammate or some player, kind of an obscure player that not many people would have known. And he immediately said, 64. And that was his jersey number. And, uh, and now I get it because now when I'm watching a game that I'm not calling, as soon as I see a player do something, I, I for the most part, know who that is immediately by their number even if it's someone that most fans probably wouldn't be that aware of so I guess that's my gift to myself it's not it's not so much a party trick I don't know that anybody gets impressed by it I get impressed by it
0: <laughs> um, all right talk me through what a normal week looks like do you spend the week like going through the rosters talking to coaches figuring out the game plan? Uh, A little
1: bit of all of that starts on Tuesday. When I get up, I immediately start working on my boards that I have in the game with me that have all the players by position, their background information, when they were drafted, height, weight, years in the league. And then I have the team stats. So I work on that, dive into the film from their previous game. I go back other games as well. I'm able to ISO on players. So I have my own opinions on, on players and Instead of more or less regurgitating whatever it is that that the public or or sports writers are are talking about. And then you get into strategy as far as what they're doing from a scheme standpoint offensively and defensively. We talk to the teams for us on a on a Monday night game, we talk to the teams on Saturday and Sunday. We talk to the head coach and the coordinators, typically the quarterback and and usually one other player, either offensively or defensively, and kind of put all those notes together and Try to make some sense of it and have some ideas as to how you be what you feel is important about the game, kind of what you expect each team's going to do, not only in your own opinion, but also then from your conversations with those coaches, then we go call the game.
0: Yeah. I assume it's gotten easier over time, but when you first started doing this being a former player, was it difficult for you to, to be negative or criticize players?
1: A little bit. You know, I know the the first press conference that I ever did, I was asked, do you feel that you can be critical. And my response to that was, I, I feel that I can be critical if that's what is warranted. But I, I think that there's this notion that broadcasters are supposed to be critical. I, I felt that my job, and I still feel this way today, is my job's to be honest and my job's to be fair and accurate as, as best I can be. So I think it's gotten a little bit Easier, I would, I would agree with that, that as I've gotten further removed from my playing days, I, I don't have the same kind of relationships, I guess, that, that I had as a, as a player fresh from playing. So from that standpoint, maybe it's gotten a little bit easier. But I still try, as a broadcaster, I try to respect the people, and not try, I, I respect the players and the coaches that do it, because I know it's hard to do, and there's nobody who wants to win more than they do. There's no one who puts in more time to win more than they do, and I think the easy thing to do is to be the critic. That's not to say that if a player makes a mistake or isn't playing to the level that he's capable of. You know, I've got to be honest in that assessment, and I think players, for the most part, understand that, and I think they respect that. I I know that for me, if I didn't play well, then if the broadcaster said, "Hey, he's not playing," you know, I mean, I didn't take offense to that. I mean, I, I I knew more than they did that I didn't play well, so. Whether I'm good at that part of it or not, I don't know, but that's the approach that I take. No, it makes sense,
0: right? As a former player, it feels like you're more cognizant of the man in the arena, right? Like the person that yeah. puts himself in yeah, there and, and sure. how much work goes into that, and, and you recognize that yeah. rather than just, just giving them a hard time for no reason,
1: right? No question. These guys invest a lot of time and, and, and want to win, like I said, more than anyone, and I think you've got to be responsible with that as a broadcaster in how you cover a game. Yeah. You know? And I think, most, I think most broadcasters probably agree with that.
0: How has the business of the NFL changed from <clears> the 90s when you were playing to today in 2022? Like just being uh, around the league, right? Like everything that you notice going into it, the prep work, the games, the attention, entertainment, so forth.
1: Well, it just continues to get bigger and bigger. I, I think that there was a lot of attention to the sport when I was playing. But now, I mean, you look at it now and just the access that, that the media has to the players. The players, in a lot of ways, are a brand in and of themselves. And social media, of course, has changed not only the lives of the players, but also the way that the games are covered, the way that sports is covered. It's a big business. The The rights fees continue to go through the roof. It's, to go back to your point earlier, it's, it's why, as broadcasters, the salaries have, have gone up as well. But there's a focus. It seems to me that as a league, there's two things it seems to me that the league is focused on one player safety which which obviously is important for the longevity and the viability of our sport but then the other part of that is revenue it's a big business and i think maybe lost in that is what about the game itself you know what are we doing to steward the game itself and that part of it i will be honest i mean that part of it does concern me if the decision makers aren't as equally as focused on, on the game itself and only view it as a business, what does that look like 10, 15, 20 years from now?
0: And are you talking, like, let's use an example, right? I think a lot of people would point to quarterbacks and how they're treated, right? They, the NFL obviously wants them on the field. The stats show and the numbers show, viewership-wise, that it's important for the star quarterback to be on the field. A lot of the rules, people would argue, are tailored towards that, that yeah. quarterbacks don't get hurt. Yeah. Would that be an example of, of kind of not putting necessarily the product of actual football in place of the revenue? Um,
1: well, I think that there's no doubt that the fans want to see the stars on the field.
0: And I, I assume you're biased with this a little well, bit. Well,
1: not really. Not really. I, I think in some ways there's too much protection on quarterbacks. And I've said that in the, in the games that I've called. Nobody wants to see anyone get hurt. Nobody wants to see anyone go down with head injuries. You know, head injuries is the real issue that our sport's dealing with in terms of how it's impacting the sport at the grassroots level, you know, and, and our kids playing football. And, you know, so that's been addressed. But what I mean is in an attempt to increase revenue, and when we've had CBA negotiations between the owners and the players, What's come of that is that the owners have continued to get their share of the pie, and the players, when they haven't gotten what they've wanted on the financial side of it, they've negotiated less time practicing, less time at the facility. And I'm a believer that if you're going to be good at anything, you got to put in the time. You know, it's, the, it's basically the, the whole mantra of, of eight, our beer company. So if you put less time in something, it only stands to reason you're going to be less effective. So if we continue to have less time practicing, then it, it only stands to reason that the, that the football is not going to be played at the same level. Yeah, And I think that's what we've seen. I don't think the football, you know, Tom Brady a month ago or so said what he sees is a lot of bad football. And I would agree with that. There's yeah. been a lot of bad football. There's been times this year when I've watched games and I've thought to myself, wow, this is professional football. And yet we can't execute some of the simplest of things. And I think, it's, I think a lot of it's due to the lack of time that we spend on the sport.
0: Do you ever worry about the future of the NFL, right? We've talked about the yeah. past and the present. And, yeah. and the reason I asked that, right, is for two. You brought up a second ago the youth. And if you think about youth in the United States in general, I don't think it's any secret, I think you're alluding to it, that the numbers have gone down pretty dramatically from a youth participation standpoint. A lot of that is health and safety, which they've tried to address and stuff. But if youth people aren't playing it, then the likelihood of them playing it in high school or college is obviously reduced. But then also the quality, right? If the quality reduces, does that hurt viewership also?
1: You would think so. You would think it would. But I think the games have been competitive to where people are still tuned in, which is interesting.
0: Do you worry about the youth side?
1: Yeah, I'm on the uh, I'm on the National Football Foundation board, so I hear a lot of I hear more than most about the state of the sport, a lot of what's happening at the collegiate level, but also at the grassroots level. Yeah, there are fewer kids playing, and I understand it. You know, if you're a parent, you've got a young son, and do you want him playing football and going through some of the things that that happen? I think most there are stories, and there are people who have been impacted by head injuries. There's broken bones, of course. I broke mine when I was 10 years old, broke my arm. But most of, I think, the head injuries occur more at the NFL level with the impact. That, but I understand that it's happening at, at all levels. And, but with that said, I will tell you that, that I'm an advocate for the sport because I know firsthand what football meant to me. And you know, football is unlike the other sports. Baseball, you're unraveling baseballs and you're eating sunflower seeds and you're telling jokes and, you know, in, in,
0: in the dugout. There's not as much camaraderie, <clears throat> it feels like, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, football is hard. It may be different than it once was, but, you know, we had 2 days and 110-degree heat in Texas, both in high school, college, and, and then in the pros, and uh, it forges you a little bit, you know? I mean, you, you develop some toughness, and you have setbacks and all those things, and I think that football does, in a lot of ways, turn young boys into men and facing adversity and some of the challenges and hardships that life presents. So from that standpoint, I've I've learned a lot. Football's taught me a lot that I've applied in my
0: life. I know you played (coughs) baseball and football growing up. It feels like today we're going through this time period where there's been a transition to where a lot of parents and people in general feel that children should maybe focus on one sport if they want to get to college or professional level. Are you a believer in that or do you think multiple sports?
1: I think multiple sports. I, I played three sports. I played baseball, basketball, and football. And if I had chosen one sport when I was going into high school, I would have chosen baseball. And I, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I, I, don't, I don't know that. I mean, I think I would have gone on and played college ball. I don't know if I would have made it to the, to the big leagues or professionally at all, even into the minor leagues. But football became more or less my sport as I moved through high school. And Obviously I went on and had the career that I had, but I think that even if you're looking at it from, first of all, I think it's wrong if you're looking at it from from a professional standpoint. I mean, so few kids, the numbers of course are very, very small that get a chance to go on from high school sports and play any kind of professional sport and get paid for it. But I think you miss out on a lot of good stuff. Just a lot of memories playing on various teams and you only get to do it once, play as many sports as you can, have as much fun as you can with it. I'm all for if if a kid, wants to just focus on one sport because he says this is what i love and this is what i want to do i say great but i I think that should be the kid's decision I, i just don't think a school or a coach should tell a young boy or a young girl that hey you have to just play one sport and so pick one and they don't want to have to make that decision i just having girls and watching them grow up and play the club sports and and all that. I, I think too many times from what I've seen, we've seen decisions that are being made for the kids that are, are in the best interest of the coaches or of an organization and not in the best interest of a, of a child. You can't tell me. No one can convince me that making a kid choose one sport is in the best interest of that kid.
0: Yeah. And I bet you could argue also that uh, multiple sports helped you with football right? Hand-eye coordination in baseball. These sports yeah. develop other talents that you may not necessarily get Absolutely. or fine-tune, right? No question. So I, I think that's a big point. Last question before I want to get to the beer. Fox Sports. You were at Fox for two decades, 20 years. You're now transitioning. You're at ESPN now. Did you think Fox was going to, I don't want to say allow that to happen, but did you think they were going to try harder to retain you? At TPM? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, you know, I, don't, I don't have a lot of expectations for people in general. So I never imagined that I would leave Fox. But I've also been through, you know, I've been through change. Heck, I wrote a children's book that's titled Things Change, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. I, I think it's naive to think that anything's going to last forever. So I had, I had 20, shoot, 21 great years at Fox, you know. And uh, I had 20 years with Joe there at Fox. And I'm really proud of what we were able to, to do and the games that we covered. And I didn't think last year was going to be my last year with them. But I'm really happy at ESPN. Love, love doing Monday night. Grew up watching Monday night football. And to be a part of this property means a lot to me.
0: I lied. I have one more question. Tom Brady yeah. is, is going into broadcasting, supposedly, reportedly, after his NFL career ends, whenever that might be. The person that's around this business, like myself, and kind of looks at a lot of this stuff, I was skeptical, I'll call it, of that news, right? And the reason I was was <laughs> because... <laughs> I think the job is actually a lot more difficult than people give it credit for, not only with the preparation and all of that. I, th- I think he can do that for sure, right? He's a, he's a great quarterback. But on air, it's, it's difficult, right? And you don't really know until someone does it and, and trains and, right. and tries really hard. Right. Do you agree with that assessment? Like, what is your thought when you saw that news come out?
1: Well, I was... Uh... I don't wanna say surprised. I think that in order to get a guy like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, I I think that these guys are making so much money in the NFL that you had to you had to pay them and make it make it worthwhile for them. So there was a part of me that thought it's gonna become increasingly more difficult to get someone like one of these quarterbacks to go into broadcasting the way that I did. But as you said, the economics have changed. So so now That hurdle has disappeared, and so I think that maybe, and I heard Drew Brees talk about this, that you know, you realize if you just watch the game, this notion that well, I know football, so I'm gonna, so I just show up and call the game, you're underestimating then what the job requires, and I think that that only takes you so far, and people then figure that out. I think there have been. There have been players who have gone into broadcasting and, and haven't put the time in. And I think their time in broadcasting has, has been relatively short-lived. And I've said it before. I mean, I have great respect for Tom in so many ways. And, and if, if this is what he decides to do, there's some people who wonder if, if, in fact, he will broadcast. But if it's what he decides to do, I think he'll be great. He'll work. The reason he's been the best quarterback that's ever done it is because he puts in the time and And you wouldn't be playing at forty five years old unless you took the time to to prepare and keep your body in shape and do all the little things that are required. so I think he'll be fantastic, but you're not retired when you when you go into broadcasting you know i mean it's still
0: you may get to work from home a couple more days yeah I mean but... <laughs> you get to be
1: home, but you're not really you're absent yeah. you, you know you're absent when you're at home in in some ways so it'll yeah, it'll be interesting to see it's hard to predict i mean it's there's people when I was coming out that they didn't think that that I would have a career when I went into broadcasting. You know, there's others who have gotten into it that people thought would be fantastic, and and it didn't work out so well for them. So it really is one of those deals. It's 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 almost like drafting a quarterback. You just don't know.
0: Yeah, you don't know. It if feels guys are- too like uh, the, the worlds are colliding a lot, right? Like they're almost like merging and meshing together. And and I'll give you an example. As a Giants fan, a few years ago, maybe two, three, four years ago at this point, I'm watching a Sunday game, I think it was, Greg Olson is calling the game. He's still in the NFL at this point. He was still playing, and he called the game, right? I remember thinking to myself, oh, he's pretty good at this. I think he could probably do this afterwards. But just like, wait, isn't he still in the league? And it feels like, whether it's podcast or this new media thing people want to call, like the worlds are combining much more than they used to be. I agree with that, Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, and even years before that, Matt Hasselback, he was playing. He was calling games at Fox when they had a bye week, just like yeah. just like Greg Olson did. So whereas I said earlier that I didn't give any thought, and really no one in our locker room was talking about broadcasting. Now I think that's totally changed. Now I think most players believe that they'll go into broadcasting and, and work in a studio or call games. And, and there's a lot of opportunities with all the content programming that there is out there, more so than there was when I was retiring from football. So now I think it's more top of mind with a lot of the players, and they're trying to take advantage of the opportunities that they have, even while they're playing, if it fits into their schedule.
0: Gotcha. All right. I want to talk <coughs> about 8, which is uh, your new beer company. I got a quick story for you first, though. Okay. All right. I live in Miami, Florida. I go outside the other day, go get a coffee down at the store. This is two weeks ago. So I already knew we were going to do this. I go wait in line. Guy in front of me is wearing an 8, T shirt. Really? Yeah. I said, hey, you know, do you work for eight? I don't know. You know, I, you guys are selling in Texas. Yeah. So we're in Florida. I'm like, you must work there or something. He's from Texas, was at a bar, entered a competition, won a t shirt, whatever. It oh, that's wow. right. So you should be proud to know that the beer is making its way to. Uh, yeah. You don't know how good Florida. that makes
1: me feel in Miami, Florida, wearing an eight t shirt. I you love go. that. I should have got a
0: picture with him. Yeah. Uh,
1: but tell me about the beer. Why Why beer? Well, I I worked for a beer distributorship when I was in college. I then moved to dallas when i was drafted became really close friends with one of the top beer distributors in the in the country barry and lana andrews and his family and did some stuff with that distributorship over the years and then i've done some national campaigns and so i've kind of had this loose relationship with beer i guess over the years i like beer and then i met my now partners and and one of one of whom doug campbell Has had a career in the beer business, and we just started talking about it, kind of kicking it around. Is it something that that I'd be interested in maybe doing? And at first, I didn't think it would be, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, you know, maybe. I mean, if we can do it that, we can do it in a way that's different than what's on the market, and if we could do it in a way that I felt was better, then yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's see where it goes. And so that's that was kind of how it began. Took two years. We partnered with Oregon State University and their food and science department. They got a great beer program there. I had some top-notch people involved, and we just kept kind of pushing the envelope. How, how can we make this the best for you beer? I work out. I've always been mindful of my health, became more mindful of my wellness over the last three, four years. So I wanted something that complemented my lifestyle, that, that wasn't in contradiction to that. You know, Something that that I would feel good about. And even though I I wouldn't sit here and tell you that beer is good for you, I do believe I work out during the week, I get my sleep, I hydrate, I got my half gallon jug here that I fill up two or three times during the course of the day. I eat whole foods, stay away from processed foods and sugars and things of that nature. But then I also believe that there are moments in life that should be celebrated. And I enjoy when I'm with family and friends and getting together, I, I enjoy sharing a beer. And so in order to have that beer that complemented the, the other parts of my life, it needed to be a light beer. And eight, what makes it unique is that we have no adjuncts and no fillers. So we have no corn, no rice, no sugar, no added sugars, and no syrups. And so it really is one of the better for you beers on the market. It's the cleanest beer. And I'm really proud of the way it came out. And for some people, and it is for me, the measurables are important. 90 calories and 2.6 carbs is what we are. But what I've learned is if you get into the carb war, you can do things to lower the carbs. It doesn't necessarily make the beer better for you. So I, I like where we're at. I think we're in that sweet spot that people can uh, identify with. And we made it for what we refer to our consumer as early risers. And that doesn't mean you have to wake up at 5 in the morning. But it's people who wake up in the morning who have a purpose and a passion to be the best they can be or to be the best they can be at something. And if that's pursuing a dream, if that's building a business, if that's just being a better person, whatever it is. But I've always admired those that put in the time, put in the work to achieve something, to accomplish something, to be their best. This beer reflects what my values and principles are, and it's who we made the beer for.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you had a good relationship with your, your partner before this started. Yeah. But over the 30 years you've been around the NFL, I'm sure you have been presented with, countless opportunities from yeah. a business perspective. What made this different? Like, what do you, what's your checklist? Is there a checklist you go through to see there, if something's Well, there, worthwhile? there is
1: now, you know, I've invested in things in the past. I've gotten behind certain things that I thought were a great product, a great technology, and they were, but some of those didn't go the way that I had hoped. And the reason that they didn't was because of the people. We just didn't have the people to execute it, and so, like my athletic career, you realize that if you don't have great teammates, if you don't have talented people, it's hard. It's hard to be good, and so I've learned to bet on people more than I've learned to bet on other things. I mean, not that the other things aren't important. Not that you know, if you have got a great idea or a great product, great technology, not that those things don't still matter. But if you don't have the people to execute it, then it's just not going to work, and so. I like the idea behind this, but ultimately, I did it because of my partners. I, b- I believed in them, I believed we could execute it. I believed they were smart, really talented. We're in it for the right reasons, and that's proven itself out. I haven't been disappointed one minute of one day since we've decided to launch this. I've been thoroughly impressed with all three of my partners, their commitment to excellence and, and the way that we've gone about this, and it's why. This beer was just named a couple of weeks ago as the fastest growing independent beer brand in the history of the state of Texas. And so it makes me really proud that people have identified with it, but it's, it's come with a lot of work and, and we haven't, like it says on the can, everything about eight reflects my belief and my approach. And so it says no shortcuts, no excuses. And we don't, we don't take shortcuts, and we make no excuses. We, we, we wake up every day and put in the work. And I believe that if you do that, you give your, yourself a chance to be successful. And uh, so far, so good.
0: It feels like you're working for this. It feels yeah. like you're working hard for this. Like, I, I've seen, you know, we're doing podcasts, obviously. You're doing yeah. interviews. You're, you're out on the road. I'm sure you're selling at accounts. Like, just talk me through the challenge of getting the beer company up and started. The... Because I would caveat this with anyone can, in your position, right, can slap their name on something right. that someone else produces and, and, you know, maybe throw up a couple of tweets or Instagrams or whatever right. and, and hope that it goes well. Right. It feels like your boots are on the ground. You're, no you're trying to sell, you're, you're marketing it. Like, just talk me through that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm involved in every facet of this company, which is really the only way I've known how to, how to do anything, quite honestly. But we don't hire anyone unless I interview them. I'm, I'm very hands-on with all of the marketing, the creation. Of this beer, the creation of the the branding, every element of it, and I know that I'm ultimately the one who drives this. And if I'm not working for it, then it's just it's just not going to go anywhere. And what's helped us, of course, is my relationship that I've had with the Andrews family, that owns a distributorship in in Texas, North Dallas, and then as well as South or North Texas as well as South Texas. And I and there's no question that my career with the Cowboys. Has maybe opened some doors that that other people might have challenges. So when we went out and we met with distributors, they 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 were excited about this. And I don't think I don't think it was so much they were excited because it was my name on it or you know I was behind it, although that was part of it. I think it was they really saw that there was a need for this product. So we were able to get the distributing that we were hoping to get we were able to get into grocery stores we're in 50 percent of the grocery stores in texas we're in obviously a number of bars and restaurants and that part of it is for a lot of people the hardest part it was not easy for us but we were able to accomplish some things that maybe some other people wouldn't have but for me and this and for eight to be successful there's no question that i've got to be I do have to be boots on the ground. I have traveled around the state of Texas. I've tried to get it out and, and get it known to as many people as possible, and, and, and it doesn't end. I mean, it, it, it continues, and I continue to do it even with the broadcasting right now that's taken up so much of my time, and then, and then we'll devote more and more time of, it, of myself once we get into the off-season.
0: What's next step? You said 50% of the grocery stores, bars, restaurants in Texas. Are we moving outside of Texas? Do you want to build up Texas more, get, get kind of proof? Um,
1: there's really, first of all, there's there's no real end game. I mean, if you were to say, hey, what what ultimately do you want to see happen? What I want ultimately to see happen, I want eight to be the number one beer in the country. But right now we're focused on Texas. We still have a lot of work to do in Texas to continue to see it grow and, and get into all grocery stores and all restaurants and bars. But yeah, I think that We've we've always said that if we move outside of Texas, that would be a really great thing because it means that what we're doing is good and that we're growing and that people want us outside the state of Texas. We've had a number of people ask about us being in their states. So there's a lot of interest. In order for us to be the number one beer, which is ultimately the, the goal, then we would, of course, have to go outside the state of Texas. So I think the initial thought is maybe by this time next year, we'll be in some of the neighboring states, Oklahoma, Arkansas, New Mexico, and then just continue to see where it goes from there and just take it one step at a time. And my hope is that rather than us trying to push it into other markets, that we'll more or less be pulled into other markets because they'll be the ones who are contacting us saying, hey, we've got a a lot of people asking about this beer and we really need to be distributing it and selling it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like there's demand, right? There's, there's yeah. a buzz about it, which is helpful. What's something you've learned during this process? Like something you didn't know before about the business side of not only beer, but just in general, right? That you're, that you're learning kind of along the way. I wouldn't say that I've
1: really learned. It's just confirmed what I already believe. And that is that success requires really smart, hardworking people that are just willing to wake up every day and do whatever is required. And quite honestly, I mean, I don't have a lot of patience for people that aren't that way. Whether it was in my playing career or, or, or now in business, I, I don't want people aligned with eight that, that aren't all in and, and wanna put in the time and put in the effort. You know, to circle back to the broadcasting side of things, even the time that I put in getting ready to call a, a game, I don't, it's work, I guess, but I don't view it as work. I just, I just feel like you do what's, what's required to do your job. And that's the way I feel about that's the way I feel about eight. I don't know that I've really learned anything new. It's just confirmed what I already thought.
0: Gotcha. All right, last question, multiple choice for you. If we were to do this interview again in seven years, which I think extends, I picked that on purpose, it extends past your, your contract with ESPN. Okay. Would you be A, broadcasting still, B, running an NFL team, C, working on eight full-time, or D, something else, retired, et cetera? If that's you had to guess, this is seven years question. in advance. I, I
1: would say, uh, I'd say seven years from now, I'll still be broadcasting. Broadcasting? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm excited about that. And I, I would also say that I, I, I've never been one who wants to wish days away yeah. or look forward to days in advance, but I look forward to seeing where eight is seven years from now. It'd be great if I had a crystal ball and could, tell that story and knew what it was now. But I'm excited about eight and, and where we'll be at that time.
0: It sounds like I should have picked 10 or 12 <clears throat> years, maybe not seven, but we'll-, we'll Yeah, if we'll you see. got to 12, <laughs> if you got
1: to 12, I'd say, yeah, I don't know that I'll still be broadcasting, maybe working for eight full-time, <laughs> but I may also be on a beach somewhere full-time, just kind of relaxing and, uh, and enjoying retirement.
0: Well, you've earned it. The beer is delicious. I recommend everyone go check them out. Whether you're in Texas, you can go pick it up at you know, you got a good chance one out of two grocery stores. That's right. Or if you're somewhere else, hopefully you guys will be there soon. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time. This thank was you. awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate sure. you doing it. you bet. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to the Joe Pomp show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.